And one reason that the Word of God is a greater revelation than creation is it tells us so much more about God. It reveals to us His covenant love. As reflected in the structure of this psalm, the Word of God is perfect. It gives all things that pertain to life and godliness. And while it does not give us all knowledge, all the knowledge it does give us is true and perfect. So part of the perfection of God's word is that it is effective. It does the work of converting our soul. That is what it was intended to do. There's power in reading it and hearing it and studying the word of God that goes beyond just the knowledge that we want to have in our head, but it actually changes us for the better, converting our soul. Today we are kicking off a brand new series called Make It Make Sense, How to Read the Bible. So the Bible is the best-selling book in the world, selling almost 100 million copies annually. The text was written over a course of about 1,500 years, um, and with 66 books in the Bible and over 600,000 words, depending on the translation you read, it can often feel a little bit overwhelming. So people today have the most access to the Bible that they've ever had, but couldn't be any less interested. So it's often quoted and argued with the famous catchphrase verses, Um, but does anyone actually read the Bible? That's what we're going to figure out and we're going to encourage you to do over this series. Christians have long believed that the Bible is the main way of God um, revealing himself to us. So if that's true, it should make us want to jump in to see what the story is, to see how it connects in the Bible, but how it also connects to us. So What if you could summarize scripture in a way that could help you not only understand God's story, but your story? And what if you could do that in four short phrases? So over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about these phrases. I love you. I am with you. Don't be afraid. You can come home. So we're going to dig into these and see how they are repeated over and over through scripture. Isaiah 43.1 says, But now, this is what the Lord says. He created you, O Jacob. He formed you, O Israel. Fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have summoned you by name. You are mine. God speaks to his people as our creator. He formed us. He has a special and unique claim on our lives. And because he created us, he cares enough to tell us we don't have to be afraid. He's got it all figured out. We just need to trust in him. So the story of the Bible is how God gets everything back that was his in the first place. From Genesis to Revelation, the Bible tells the story of redemption and restoration. It reminds us of who we are, and it teaches us about a God that has pursued us from the beginning of time. Even when we fail again and again, he proves himself faithful. In the first few pages of Genesis, we see God's good creation. But just a couple pages later, we see the devastation of the fall. But there's a promised redeemer that will come and make everything right, and his name is Jesus. He changes everything. We learn about him through the entire Old Testament, although most people don't think of Jesus necessarily in the Old Testament. And then in the New Testament, he bursts onto the scene, he kind of overwhelms us, but he says, the Bible is a story of redemption, but more importantly, the Bible is the story of the God of redemption. The redemption story is kind of like a Bible reading companion. So think of it this way. It walks through the entire Bible, chapter by chapter, verse by verse. This companion is for anyone who has ever attempted to read the Bible, wanted to read the entire Bible, maybe just started reading the Bible and feels completely overwhelmed. It's also for anyone who wants to understand the full scripture, 
of, or the full story of scripture and looks to see Jesus on every page. As we read scripture, we begin to see that it is one cohesive story that points to the Redeemer. Jesus is the center of scripture, and we see him revealed to us on every page of the Bible. So the people in the Old Testament, they anticipated the Redeemer coming, and he came into the world to pay for our redemption in the New Testament, and now we get to place our faith in him and wait for him until he restores all things, and one day we will sit face to face and be able to worship him for all of eternity. He has kept every promise, he's done everything that he said he would, and he continues to be faithful. He has pursued us with his steadfast love. He has been faithful. So this story is unlike any story ever told. This story is the story of Jesus, this story is the story of hope, And most of all, it is a story of redemption. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we come before you today and we just ask that you would give us hearts that are open to hear what you have for us, ears to hear and inclined to what you would say. We thank you for the scripture. We thank you for the word of God that was given to us and that it would come close to us and we would be transformed. I thank you, Father God, that you would just give us little tidbits today of how we can use scripture to see who you are and how much you love us. In Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so big question, what is your relationship with the Bible? Are you eager to read it and study? Do you get overwhelmed? Maybe find it boring. Um, Does it feel like a chore or just like another thing on your to-do list? Or do you look at it like a feast provided to you by the living God? So when I was asked to speak on this topic, I was actually really excited Um, As Heidi said, spirit fingers. (laughs) I have had a new excitement in my soul over the past couple years of where I want to dig into the Bible. I want to see it as interactive. I want it to be living, breathing, and active, like it says in Hebrews 4. Um, I've been around the Bible my entire life, um, and there have been seasons that I will admit that I felt like the Word of God was really just dry, stagnant, nothing really excited me about it. Um, times where I look at it and I just think, man, I've heard these stories over and over again. Um, But those feelings were not actually based on the Word of God. They were based on the attitude in my heart. And so I had to force myself to do my daily devotions. I would force myself to find something new. Um, But then there's seasons like I'm in right now where I just can't wait to read it. I can't wait to discover something new. I can't wait to share it with others. Um, But I had to begin this season by saying, why are you here? I'm looking at this Bible every day. I'm reading it like I'm supposed to be reading it. But why am I here? What am I supposed to be learning? Um, So I asked myself that question and have continued to find excitement as I have seen how it does all connect together. Um, Look at this verse in Psalm 19, 7 and 8. It says, the law of the Lord is perfect, refreshing the soul. The statutes of the Lord are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart, and the commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. So here, David, as he's writing, abruptly shifts from praising the God who reveals himself in creation to praising the same God for revealing himself in his word. It's almost like David's like, wait, Creation tells us a lot about God, but the word tells us so much more. 
And one reason that the Word of God is a greater revelation than creation is it tells us so much more about God. It reveals to us his covenant love. As reflected in the structure of this psalm, the Word of God is perfect. It gives all things that pertain to life and godliness. And while it does not give us all knowledge, all the knowledge it does give us is true and perfect. So part of the perfection of God's Word is that is it. It is effective. It does the work of converting our soul. That is what it was intended to do. There's power in reading it and hearing it and studying the Word of God that goes beyond just the knowledge that we want to have in our head, but it actually changes us for the better, converting our soul. The Hebrew word translated here as converting is also understood as reviving. So think of it. When you open your Bible, if you thought, man, this is about to revive my soul, you may have a different perspective on what you're about to read. So first, God's word revives. Its restorative quality gives healing to our entire person and assures us forgiveness and cleansing and gives life to the godly. So the word of God is true and trustworthy. We know that it is reliable and certain. It makes the wise simple. Oftentimes we think of that word simple and we might think, okay, that means easy to understand or straightforward. But if you look at the Hebrew word of the, or the root of the word, you see that it actually means open. So making wise those who are open. When we take the word of God that is given to us, it will do the work in our lives to transform us, to be more like him. And what if we looked at the word of God like the scriptures were actually a feast, the way God created them, and they are provided to you by the living God. We're often taught to dig into scripture and find something to feed ourselves as we read them. So we read the Bible looking for our portion. But guess what? That's the posture of an orphan. And we are not orphans. God has called us his own. He has adopted us and he's made us his. So when we open up the word of God, he is with us. But we have to posture ourselves to receive it in that way. One of my favorite Bible teachers, Christy McClellan, says it this way. "Um, No prophet of Israel ever went out and got the word of the Lord. The Lord came to Isaiah, found Jeremiah, and came to Amos. The prophets were living their lives simple, open, and postured to receive what the Lord had for them. The word of the Lord is searching, or looking and searching for you. So humanetics, which is the formal way of saying how to read the Bible, and one of its principles is that if you look at the parts, you can understand the whole. So the Bible was given to us that we might know who the living God is, what he's like, and what it's going to mean if we choose to follow him, what it's going to mean if we partner with him. As we read the Bible, we can ask this question, what does what I'm reading teach me about who God is? Look at it, look for his character in all things. As we read and study the Bible, we see that time is cyclical. God is constantly reaching back, grabbing a thing, a situation bringing it forward and providing restoration. There are so many stories in the Bible where you may be like, "Uh, what the heck's happening here? Or why would God's people behave that way? Like if you just read a little portion, how could a loving God let this situation happen? But when we look at the Bible as a whole, not just the little individual parts, we begin to see the story of God. So today I want to share a story of God's restoration in the Bible, one that maybe you haven't put together before, And I want you to see that the promise that God declared in Isaiah 43, that he created us, that we're his, that he's called us by name, shows us just how much he loves us. 
God will always meet his people where they are, but he refuses to leave you there. Think about that. He's going to meet you where you are, where you are today, but he doesn't want you to stay there. In the book of Exodus, we see God's people delivered from Egypt. So God's provided a way out for them. He parted the Red Seas. They take a journey under the leadership of Moses to Mount Sinai. God reveals himself to his people and makes a covenant with them on how to live. This is called the Torah, and this is the law of God that was given to Moses for his people. So let's look at Exodus 32. When the people saw how long it was taking Moses to come back down the mountain, they gathered around Aaron. Come on, they said, make us some gods who can lead us. We don't know what happened to this fellow Moses who brought us here from the land of Egypt. So Aaron said, take the gold rings from the ears of your wives and sons and daughters and bring them to me. All the people took the gold rings from their ears and brought them to Aaron. Then Aaron took the gold, melted it down, molded it into the shape of a calf. When the people saw it, they exclaimed, Oh, Israel, these are the gods who brought us out of the land of Egypt. Aaron saw how excited the people were, so he built an altar in front of the calf. Then he got up and announced, Tomorrow will be a festival of the, to the Lord. The people got up early the next morning to sacrifice burnt offerings and peace offerings. After this, they celebrated with feasting and drinking, and they indulged in pagan revelry. So Moses is at the top of the mountain. He's seeking God for his people, but the people are getting impatient. They thought Moses was taking too long, so they decided to create an idol that they could worship. It was a golden calf. They sacrificed burnt offerings to the calf. They ate, they drank, they indulged. Um, continuing on in Exodus 32, the Lord told Moses, quick, go down the mountain, your people whom you brought from the land of Egypt have corrupted themselves. How quickly they turned away from the way I commanded them to live. They have melted down gold and made a calf. They have bowed down and sacrificed to it. They are saying, these are your gods, O Israel, who brought you out of the land of Egypt. Then the Lord said, I have seen how stubborn and rebellious these people are. Now leave me alone so, I, so my fierce anger can blaze against them and I will destroy them. Then I will make you, Moses, into a great nation. God's angry. His people whom he loves has turned their hearts because they didn't get what they wanted. It reminds me of times that I personally have put a plan into action because I didn't want to spend time to wait in the presence of God to see what he had to say on the matter. So while I've never actually built a golden calf, I think it would be fair to say that in many ways we come to God Thank him for what he's done for us. We remember his goodness and his faithfulness. We ask him about our next steps, but yet we refuse to wait to listen to what he says on the matter. And just like that, then we get all messed up and in trouble, and that's what's happening here to the Israelites. They know the goodness of God. They have seen his faithfulness in bringing them out of Egypt, but they don't want to wait for the next steps. Moses, however, having spent time in the presence of God, knows his character he knows who God is. So he sought the favor of the Lord. He reminds God of his character. He says, the Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger. He abounds in covenant faithfulness. He forgives sin, but will not leave the wicked unpunished. So we have this tension here. We have a God who's full of mercy, but also needs to deal with the evil because he claims to be good. He commits himself to the people, even though they are utterly faithless. In this story, God relents and does not bring disaster to his people as he had threatened. 
he allows Moses to go down, see what's going on, and Moses finds these people dancing around, worshiping a calf, and Moses' anger then burns. He's upset with Aaron that he allowed these people to convince him to do this. So he asks, who will be committed to the Lord God, the true God of Israel? The Levites come towards him. As the story continues in Exodus, Moses told them, this is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Each of you take your swords and go back and forth from one end of the camp to the other. Kill everyone, even your brothers, your friends, and your neighbors. The Levites obeyed Moses' command, and about 3,000 people died that day. So this is a devastating day. These Levites are called to kill people that are not going to honor God and his command. Um, And they had to kill their own family. So stick with me for just a second. You maybe didn't know all the details of that story. And I actually didn't know all the details of that story until a few months ago. Um, But you may be more familiar with this story from Acts about the beginning of the early church. So if you give me just a couple minutes, I will connect these two and you will see how much God loves his people and how he is wanting to bring restoration to his world. So in Jewish traditions, I might get nerdy for a second, but um, there are three annual festivals. So these festivals are for reading, remembering, and retelling their God stories, very similar to what Jordan was talking about in communion. These were agricultural in nature. They came together. They celebrated God's faithfulness throughout the year for providing the sun and the rain. Okay, so Jesus' crucifixion, burial, and resurrection happened during Passover in the spring. Fifty days later, there's Pentecost. So following Jesus' resurrection, he spends 40 um, days on earth before his ascension to heaven, and 10 days later, we come to Pentecost. God is inviting his people to come to the temple and worship, to remember, to retell the faithfulness of God. Let's look at Acts 2. On the day of Pentecost, all believers were meeting together in one place. Suddenly, there was a sound from heaven like the roaring of a mighty windstorm. It filled the house where they were sitting. Then they look, Then what looked like flames or tongues of fire appeared and settled on each of them. And everyone present was filled with the Holy Spirit. They began speaking in other languages as the Holy Spirit gave them this ability. So at Pentecost, the people were anchored in celebration of what God had done. Very early in Jewish history, it also took on even greater significance So the rabbis determined that the timing of the Feast of Shavuot, which is what we call Pentecost, coincided with the great event in Jewish history of God giving the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai. The Israelites had left Egypt on the 15th day of the month, the morning after the sacrifice of the Passover lamb. They arrived at the foot of Mount Sinai on the first day of the third month, which would have been about 40 days. Moses then went back up to Sinai, or Mount Sinai, stayed there for several days, brought down two tablets that God had actually written on with his finger. This timeline closely um, approximated the 50 days after Passover, so the Feast of Shabbat, was supposed to be held. So since Passover was an Exodus-related feast, the thought that was Pentecost must also be an Exodus-related feast, and was to celebrate the occasion in which God reveals himself to his people. He made a new covenant with them by giving them his written instructions. So what does that have to do with us today? 
right? And what does that have to do with, um, or how is it significant for us Christians today? The event described in Acts 2 in the New Testament, when the Holy Spirit appeared and rested on tongues of fire on the individual believers, occurred on Pentecost, the same day that the Jews were celebrating God's giving of the Torah on the tablets of stone. So when the Holy Spirit came, God wrote that on the hearts of his people. Acts 2.41, those who accepted his message were baptized, and about 3,000, you've heard this before, 3,000 were added to their number that day. This confirms God's promise in Jeremiah 31 and the promise from the Father that Jesus had told his disciples about in Acts 1. We're connecting it all together. Jeremiah 31. The day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Israel and Judah. This covenant will not be one like I made to their ancestors when I took them by hand, brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant. Though I loved them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant I will make with my people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them, and I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God, they will be my people, and they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, you should know the Lord, for everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness, and I will never again remember their sins. So a look at these two events in the Bible will reveal some remarkable parallels that will increase your faith in the awesome God that we serve. God had planned the events of Acts 2, even from the time of Exodus, and then he had brought them to pass in the framework of the Jewish feast that had been set up 1,200 years prior. So I'm going to show you a couple parallels. This is not an exhaustive list, but the church understood at minute one that some kind of restoration was taking place. It was going to be a part of partnering with the living God to bring restoration to this world. So on Mount Sinai, God's presence was accompanied by fire, smoke, and the sound of thunder. God's presence during Pentecost was accompanied by the sound of wind, tongues of fire, and the gift of different languages. God's presence at Sinai was symbolized by a cloud and fire, which led the Israelites out of Egypt Later, God moves his presence into the temple in 2 Chronicles, but during um, Pentecost, God moves his presence from the temple into a new temple, and that's in us as followers of Jesus. When God gave the Torah to Moses on Mount Sinai, there were people worshiping the golden calf. About 3,000 people died as punishments for their sins. When Jesus' spirit was given to us during Pentecost, the people repented, and about 3,000 people believed and found spiritual life. Both events happened to newly redeemed people. The Exodus marked the birth of the Israelite nation, while Pentecost events recorded in Acts 2 marked the birth of Christianity. Fifty days after the sacrificing Passover lamb, the Israelites received a covenant from God— 50 days after sacrificing Jesus, our perfect Passover lamb, believers received a new covenant from God. So finally, the Torah provided teachings for the Old Testament community of people, and at Pentecost, the Holy Spirit comes to be the teacher of all believers. There are several others 
um, parallels. You can look those up online. Um, But wouldn't it have been powerful as the Jewish people to have been sitting there celebrating this time long ago when God showed up in fire, wind, smoke, and voices, and suddenly it looks like God is showing up again in the same way that he came before. They see fire, smoke, and hear voices, and the place is shaking violently. God is back. What is he telling us? Looking at the history and what God did there makes the story of Acts so much more deeper and increases our faith in the God of the Bible. His plans for us were made since the very beginning and down to the exact detail. The living God is the point of every story in the Bible. And when we lean in, when we get close to him, when we begin to get close to his word, transformation happens. He is faithful to restore, but often it doesn't happen right at once. So when any believer sits down with a Bible, and I meant to bring the actual Bible up here, I know a lot of us don't use an actual Bible like we used to, um, but it is life upon life. It creates more life in us. So because God is the author of life, we are offered abundant life, and with that comes a life of overflow. So what we are putting into our minds, what we're putting into our hearts, is what is overflowing from us, and we want it to be the Word of God. So you may be thinking, man, this is all great. I love how you tied all these details together. Pastor Emily's kind of a nerd (laughs) with all the details, although they're kind of cool. But how do I read the Bible like this? Quickly, I just want to share a couple practical tips that helped me from going the Bible stories that we've heard over and over again to the Bible stories I can't wait to read and connect together. So these are just some practical tips you can write down if you want. Um, So before I read scripture, I always pray. This is first and foremost. Ask God, what does he want to reveal to me today? How can I prepare my heart for what God has to say to me in that moment? Um, You can use a brief prayer, like it doesn't have to be a long, drawn-out thing. Here am I. Come, Lord Jesus. Speak to me, God. I'm listening. Um, So that's number one. Open your Bible. Pray. What does God want you to hear um, in that moment? Next, read a section and read it out loud. Be content to listen and read the text without judging or analyzing it. So take a small section and um, read it, read it out loud, and just read it as it is. Um, Try not to interject your feelings or thoughts about it at this point. Next, we're going to study. This is obviously my favorite part. I look at the context of the scriptures. So sometimes it's important when you're reading a passage to look before or after the scriptures. What is the context? What was happening here? What would the traditions have been like at that time to make God say this or Jesus say this? Um, And look up how things line up and how they're connected. Notice key phrases or action words. Whenever you see a location God's telling you something. God's telling you where something happened. Um, Study together and inherit each other. So that has been one of my most important steps over the last couple years is finding a group of people that I can dig in and study the word together with, and you inherit each other. You inherit the saints. Community is found when we study together. Um, Then I'm going to give you a word. It's called remez, and this word means hint. So as you're reading a story in the Bible, the remez would be, how have I seen this before? Where have I seen this? Do these words sound like something that God may have been saying at a different time in the Bible? Um, 
Then reflect, look for the heart of God in scriptures. What are these scriptures saying about who God is, what his character is? Why is he doing this? Like I mentioned earlier, we have the most access to the Bible and study materials, but we're often not interested. Change your attitude, okay? (laughs) Not to be blunt, but we gotta change our attitudes. Um, Look at the scripture as God's love towards you by sharing his word. And then ask yourself, am I reading this for information or am I reading this for transformation? And it definitely changes your perspective. How is my life touched by this word? What is it in my life right now that needs to hear this word? What is my response to God based on what I have read and encountered? So read the passage again and then look for your truest response. Sometimes, um, especially like in ministry, I feel like we fall... Um, to the habit of using scriptures as a tool. Like, that's part of our job. That's something we have to read the Bible, right? And so we're just using them for a tool. But um, instead of that, look at them as experiencing them as a place of intimacy with God. So take it to the next step. Something powerful and different happens when we are willing to pay attention to our internal wrestling of the scriptures, not just for completing your reading assignment or your devotions for the day, but we must begin to ponder, and just savor the words of God and wonder what's on God's heart for me today to have no other agenda except to deepen my intimacy with God. Dietrich Bonhoeffer in his book Life Together says, the word of scripture should never stop sounding in your ears, working in you all day long, just like the words of someone you love. And just as you don't analyze the words of someone you love, but you accept them as they are said to you, accept the word of God, word of scripture and ponder it in your heart as Mary did. That is all. Do not ask, how shall I pass this on? But what does it say to me? Then ponder this word long in your heart until it has gone right into you and taken possession of you. As you emerge from this place of personal encounter and letting the words take possession of you, carry this word without you throughout your day-to-day, throughout your um, everyday routine. And as you continue to listen to the word throughout the day, you'll be led to a deeper and deeper um, understanding of its meaning. The word of God will become a part of you. And as you are restored, you can bear witness to the restorations around you. Um, Tim, you can go ahead and come up. So I want to give you one more Ramez example as we close out this morning. You can read these stories further on your own. They're kind of bigger chunks of scripture. Um, But we're going to start in Luke 24, 13 to 35, the story of the road to Emmaus. Jesus had risen from the dead. Two people are walking down the road, discussing what had happened, what they had seen. Jesus comes up alongside him, or alongside them, but they don't even know it's Jesus. They just assume it's a man. And not knowing who he is, they tell Jesus all that had happened in the recent days. I'm sure this was humorous, actually, to Jesus, like, did you hear this? Yeah, I was actually there. Um, Jesus goes on to further, and they beg him to stay. So in Luke 24, um, verse 30, it says, and they sat down to eat. He took the bread and blessed it. Then he broke it and gave it to them. Suddenly their eyes were opened, and they recognized him. At that moment, he disappeared. They said to each other, didn't our hearts burn within us as he talked with us on the road and explained the scriptures to us. Okay, so Ramez, where has this happened before? When did something else take place like this? 
jumping all the way back to the beginning of Scripture, we see the fall of man. The serpent is offering Eve fruit from the tree and telling her the lie that she can also know all things. She agrees, offers some to Adam. In Genesis 3, 7, it says, Then the eyes of them were opened, and they realized they were naked. Another translation says, And they knew. So when Adam and Eve were offered food by the serpent and ate, their eyes were opened, and they knew good and evil. When the two disciples um, on the road to Emmaus were offered food by the risen Jesus and ate, their eyes too were opened. And they knew who their traveling companion was, that he had been raised from the dead, and that he was the focal point of all the scriptures. So the Bible is the story where we all have our eyes opened once. The first eye opening is sin, shame, nakedness. We hide, right? Second eye opening is we see Jesus and our hearts begin to burn with hope. A people whose eyes have been opened twice are those who have their lives lived in hope. As God restores all things back to better than their original condition, improved beyond measure, we repeatedly see throughout the Bible that God blesses people for their faith and hardships by making up for their losses and even giving them more than they had previously had. These actions demonstrate compliance and faith in the God of restoration and our dedication to him. It is God, through restoration, that makes your name great and grants you a testimony, and it will be done while you have his mighty hand in your life. God says, I love you. It's repeated time and time again in the Bible, most famously in the words of John 3.16. For this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. He brings restoration in his plan of salvation for all of us to see. For the parts of our story, and we all have one, that are fractured, you have to know that God reveals himself as one who restores the broken things. If we sincerely desire to see God restore our soul, we need to take time to rest, to reflect, to replenish. And we can't expect to live with a fresh sense of God's presence in our life if we constantly rush from one issue to the next. Fill your heart with God's word. To be restored takes time. It's most likely not going to happen overnight. But focus on God and his greatness to renew us with hope and joy regarding this life and the anticipation of eternity. Because the Lord is restoring you to better than before. You aren't being restored to the exact moment that you failed or the moment that you were weak. You are being restored to better than ever. And in this, God says, I love you. The increase is coming. The Lord is restoring you for his glory, for his purpose, so that you have a testimony and you get the benefits, you get the upgrades, and you get the seat at the table that God has prepared for you. So take his scriptures as a feast. Though, or through the word of God, we are being invited to partner with him in the restoration of this world. So I have a couple questions as we close today. What restorations are you bearing witness to? And what or, and which ones are you being invited to be a part of? 
So through God's word, he provides transformation. He provides the hope that we need to connect the dots in scripture, but also in our own lives. What is this story telling us about our own story? Most importantly, it's telling us that God loves us. That like I said earlier, he will meet you where you are, but he refuses to leave you there. And in that, we can be in confident hope that he wants to take us all the way to eternity. God loves you. He loves me and he's bringing restoration to this world. So what restoration are you being a part of in your own life as you read God's word? What restoration are you being invited to be a part of? God wants to use us as whole, healthy, healed people to minister to those who are broken, who are hurting, who are lost. And today I invite you to take the word of God, to look at it as a feast from the living God, the one who is alive and breathing and active but also come to the realization that it is designed to transform you. When was the last time that you looked at the word of God and said, transform me, take away the things, let them fall away the things that are not of you. How can I align with your word and your truth? His word will always remain true and what he says will always align with the purpose that he has for your life. Today, as we invite our... um, prayer partners forward following this message. Um, I just want you to think about things in your life that maybe are broken. Maybe you've come here today and you're like, you know what? I don't feel like God loves me. I am not in a place where I can receive God saying, I love you, but he loves each and every one of us. And he desires to take you from where you are to where you need to be and transformation by the word of God, by scripture, by the hope that he offers us. Go ahead and stand with me. We'll bow our heads this morning and pray. And I'm just, um, as our heads are bowed, just want you to think and acknowledge a place in your life where you're longing for restoration. Maybe it's your family, maybe it's your job, Maybe it's um, just broken relationships. Um, Maybe it's just things that you need to give up. And we come into these 21 days of prayer and fasting and we're thinking about what can I get rid of? But I will remind you that holiness is not only the absence of something, but the presence of something. So as you take away those things, as you get rid of the things in your life, fill it with the word of God, fill it with his presence, with times of worship. And as we bow our heads, I just want you to um, raise your hand if you're looking for restoration in this coming year, if you're having trouble just believing that God loves you because of what you've done or where you've been, and you're looking for hope in the year of 2024, you're looking for transformation that can only be found with God and his word. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you, Jesus. Father God, I just lift up each and every person in this place. The hands that are raised, the hands that are identifying, you know what, I need you. I can't do this without you and I don't want to. I wanna take your word and I want it to be alive with inside of me. I wanna be able to take what you have given me and share it and partner with you for the restoration of this world. 
Thank you, Father God, for healing relationships today. I thank you for healing families as we come before and place you first in our life where we sacrifice the things that maybe seem like they mean the most right now. I just pray that you would give us a new awareness and a new um, excitement to put you first in our life above all things, knowing that everything else falls in order after that. Father God, I thank you for the restoration that you will bring to your people in 2024. I thank you, Father God, that we are alive, that we are open to hear what you have to say to us, Lord Jesus, as we open our word of God every day. I thank you that our hearts would just be inclined to hear what you have to say to us. We thank you that transformation happens in proximity to you, and we choose to draw close to you as you have drawn close to us. Jesus. Let us share this love and hope with the world around us that the people we come in contact with would know that God loves them, that God has also called them by name and given them a hope and a future and an eternity with you when they partner together. In Jesus' name, amen.